Hey, everybody. You've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. And this is Josh. We will be chatting about movies at the Mayfair for the week of Friday, March 11th through Thursday, March 17th, 2022. St. Patrick's Day, I think. That's right, right? March 17th? Yeah, that is okay. correct. <laughs> you gave me pause there. I was like, wait, I don't celebrate or whatever. I mean, it's more one of those days where it happens and the day of you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, right. No, you just got me second guessing myself and looking at something techie, but then going, oh, wait, everything's working. Well, that's good. Including St. Patrick's Day on March 17th. Do they still make shamrock shakes? That's a good question. I would hope so. I mean, not to everyone is that a good question, but to me, I, that's fascinating. And what was the guy, uh, that character? He was like a Grimace type character, but he was green. There was a green Grimace? Yeah, his Seamus, I think his name was. That sounds inappropriate on a few <laughs> levels. <laughs> well, I don't know if, his, if he was like, war, hey, the war's me Grimace, you know. Did but he like get in fights? And... I, I, I think he was one of the McDonaldland characters you don't hear about. Well, literally never now, but at the time, you know, like Mary McCheese's deadbeat brother or something, probably. I look at a bunch of cool retro Twitter sites, and it's funny how people complain, rightfully, that social media should have been this revolutionary thing that saved the world and instead it's just destroying us mm -hmm. but if you just look at the little things you love you know i always kind of joke that if you really love model trains you can find a bunch of model train things or if you really love collecting stamps there's a bunch of that on there but for retro stuff there's all kinds of treasure and it's just nerds lovingly posting old ads and commercials and magazine clippings and for mcdonald's mcdonald's used to be this great cornerstone of movie merch to kind of keep on movie topic, they would have Jurassic Park cups and Batman glasses and Power Ranger toys for the movie and stuff like that. And I think they still do that a bit, but it doesn't seem to be... McDonald's doesn't seem to be a kid's restaurant anymore, strangely. Yeah, but also it's like they're not embracing it the other direction either. They're not going like the Batman stuff where like adults or kids could like, you know, it, it seems like it's either like Happy Meal, I don't know, Moana, whatever, you know, just for the Happy Meal throwaway stuff, but they're not really embracing, I don't know. And maybe that just seems like we're also painting it through growing up in the eighties eyes. But like, I always think of the He-Man sword at Burger King that you could put on your straw. Whoa, like, cool. I, I don't know what else. I think they made it other stuff, but that was what I remembered. It was, was just that like, for the movie or the cartoon? Well, that's a good question, actually. I would have said the cartoon, but I that uh, maybe it was the movie. That would make more sense. And they have it still, especially when you watch streaming services. They've gotten better. And I don't mind it at all because in the real world, there's advertising all over the place. If you see somebody walking down the street drinking a can of Coke, you see that Coke label. Mm -hmm. And I remember some old 80s sitcoms, they wouldn't even make an effort and I remember one, it was like Family Ties or something, and they were unpacking groceries, and you could just see that they put a piece of duct tape over every logo on the cereal <laughs> box and on Yikes. the can, and it stood out because you're just like, why do you have tape all over your groceries? Or you'll see sometimes someone looks in a fridge and all the logos are swapped around so you don't see them, but I've noticed it a little bit on streaming shows lately where somebody is drinking a starbucks and that logo is evident to the camera yeah and so we don't have commercial breaks on netflix tv shows but they're pretty savvy about getting those ads in there yeah and it's funny because like it used to be a bigger controversy anyway where it, it was just so blatant the lost world is one that i think of where there was just so much like that the 76 ball like that was oh, like yeah. rolling around and just there was tons and for me those are the ones that bother me that are just blatant okay you're really like zooming right in on the logos here but 
it's funny, like it works both ways because I've seen ones where you're just like desperately covering up something. People drink Starbucks, people drink Coke. Yeah. Like it's not weird to have or a bag of Cheetos or something. Like it's like that's life. That's the one that bothered me when I'm like, okay, well, yes, I don't like the blatant in your face, check this out. But I'm also like, we're humans who enjoy brands. <laughs> well, I forget which bond it was. It was one of the more recent ones. It was either the tail end of Piers Bronson or the first run of Daniel Craig. And I read some article about how before the movie came out, they had essentially broken even. <laughs> and this was years ago, so budgets weren't quite so inflated. But yeah. say it was a $100 million budget. Say it was a $150 million budget. There's three different cars in the movie. His clothes, his shoes, his watch. Yeah. There's a scene of him drinking a specific brand of beer. <laughs> they drive down the street in a car chase and they pass a couple billboards. And they had just, I thought, done a good job because it's never like Bond taking a Coke and drinking it <laughs> and going, ah, cola's delicious. But in that sense, it's funny where it means you don't got to rely on box office as much where you're like, oh, well, we already broke even. So even if we don't do superb, we'll still get another Bond movie out of this. I'm pretty sure it was Die Another Day. Die Another Day? I yeah. I remember having a mental note at the time. Aston Martin had given them a lot. And that's sort of the funny thing. That's also an iconic Bond car. So he would be driving it anyway. But you're also like, well, we're not, he's not driving it for free. So hook it up. Or what if Volkswagen had outbid all the high-end cars and he was driving a minivan instead. Oh, or like a Volkswagen Beetle or something. Completely out of character. Nobody makes reference to it. And here's your new car, Bond. That would be maybe better. Like, you wouldn't notice him as much. Like, you think he's driving the Aston Martin. And you're like, oh, that's Bond's car. Because everyone in the world knows that he drives that. So it's like, wouldn't it be easier if you were driving like a Honda Fit or something? And then you're stuck in movies like Star Wars. Where in the real world, every Star Wars movie has a ton of promotional tie-in, mm -hmm. but you can't have it in the movie <laughs> because they're in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. Like You can't have any of them eating at McDonald's, whereas in a Spider-Man movie, you could, without being too distracting, have Peter Parker sitting in a McDonald's eating a burger. Yeah, I never thought about that. Like, th literally, the only way you could do it is if you made a new product or, like, called an existing product something out, like Bantha Milk or something. Like, yeah. that would be the only way that you could do it. Because otherwise, you're just like... It reminds me of those... You know, at the dollar store, they have these Star Wars cars. The, oh, yeah. You know, dinky yeah. cars or whatever. Oh, yeah, here's the Darth Vader car. You're like, oh, yeah, because he's always driving around. That's my favorite part of the movie where they have that big car chase. Chewbacca's got a bumper car or whatever i'm like that actually would have been fun or i get upset because when i was a kid it was the heyday of toys and cereal boxes or at least having trading cards on the box that you could cut out yeah <laughs> at least something but now it's funny because you'll see a bag of grapes with star wars on it or r2d2 on it but that's it there's no toy there's no sticker in the bag it's just Hey, you like Star Wars? Here's some grapes. <laughs> well, another fun one is like, and they've done this as well with the chip bag stuff, which, you know, you and I loved, like the cards oh, yeah, and the yeah. stickers, whatever you want. And now it's basically just to like log into this website and put in a pin and get 10% off. And obviously they're doing it because they know people like you and I are never, ever going to do that. Like, so much work. It's like, come on. <laughs> Cracker Jack, I think, does the same thing now where it's like, yeah, Cracker oh, yeah, Jack log is in for your virtual prize. And I thought even if on a cereal box or a granola bar box, you've already got the Star Wars brand on there. 
stick a trading card on the back. Like that wouldn't be too much extra effort. And then yeah. you would at least have some illusion of collectible to it. Yeah. Or a mask, a cutout oh, yeah. mask. Like, cause that used to sort of be a thing for a little while there. Like I can't remember a specific example. They were always creepy though. <laughs> cause you're five years younger than me or so. Sure. So I don't know if you remember this, but when I was a kid, I was young cause it was 83, but there was C3PO cereal where you could cut out a mask on the back of the cereal box I don't think the cereal was good. I have no memory of the cereal. I think it was just kind of boring Cheerios kind of. But I remember being intrigued by that cereal box where I could cut out a C-3PO mask on the back of it. Yeah, I remember. Because was that the actual 3PO's cereal? Yeah. like that, Yeah, because I never was, saw it in life. But. He was on the cover. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Inexplicably, because uh, a droid can't eat cereal, and it was him <laughs> well, hovering over a bowl of delicious C-3PO cereal. Yeah, I assumed he created the cereal. He made and produced it because yeah. he's a robot. You know, I don't know, <laughs> but he can't eat it. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. No, I've definitely seen that, but never... Yeah, that was like before my time, I guess. I was like, You were a baby. I was born the year after Return of the Jedi. Right, right, or right. The year before, sorry, the year before Return of the Jedi, my bad. So Yeah, so you'd have been a kid. Yeah. A baby so kid. We, we, but on the plus side, like, I was the youngest of four, and so we still had the stuff. We had the figures, and specifically, like, the bedsheets. Oh, The yeah. Empire and Return of the Jedi bedsheets, and Return of the Jedi blanket as well. Like, probably long, long gone, I'm sure, but... A friend of mine, a few years ago, amazingly, in a true thrift shop treasure, found me, I think it's like a whole set, bedsheet pillowcases, everything for Star Wars. I opened it up enough to like kind of look at it and it's actually copyright 77. Jeez. So it's not like a reproduction from the re-release in 97 or mm -hmm. something like that. Like it's a 1977 Star Wars sheets in really good shape. And you're always on the fence, or I am anyhow, of man, these would look cool on the bed, but then they would get worn out. And I overthink it in that, was this from some old lady's grandma house and these were the bed sheets she bought for her kids back in the <laughs> 70s and they were sitting in the closet for the last 40 years because her kids have grown up and moved away? They got it at the thrift shop somehow. I thought you were going to say that she died on them or something, so you felt weird using <laughs> them again. Or like That was a lot more macabre than your version of the story. They seem too mint condition to have been used by an old lady for the past 40 years. Well, but... I, I kind of assumed, like, wouldn't they be a, like a single or a double size? They're mainly for kids. Maybe, no. yeah. Like, I got to think your bed's bigger than those sheets, but I literally <laughs> have no idea. So. I sleep in a... In a, one of those little beds, like a race car bed. Oh, I assumed you had like a manger and like Gwen has her own bed and you you like curled up on some hay or something. We've watched some old sitcoms. In the past few years, we watched The Dick Van Dyke Show, which mm. is great. And it's funny how when people in a sitcom still slept in separate beds and there's all these weird bits of trivia, like how they never would show the bathroom in mm. movies as well. And it's really much later than you would think. It wasn't until... 1975 when a bathroom showed up in a movie because it was just weirdly controversial i think the flintstones were the first husband and wife bed yeah which is weird to think about but yeah anytime you stumble on those treasures in a thrift shop which if i put it on ebay i might make a whole bunch of money off of it but i don't want to get rid of it not yet, anyways. No. I mean, maybe when you're <laughs> like, day. I don't know, when you're saving up to get your, like, I don't even know, Star Destroyer house or whatever. I feel like you, that's more of a Lee thing, I guess. Wouldn't shock me at all. He's like, yeah, I bought an acre of land and uh, we made a house <laughs> out of a replica Star Destroyer. Like, yes, of course you did that. 
Yeah, speaking of, it's our head programmer Lee's birthday today. Right. And we were just chatting about, I wonder what insanely expensive Star Wars thing he will get today. Because I'm a Star Wars geek. I have a gunk droid tattoo. But Lee, I think, spends every penny of his disposable and not quite disposable income on Star Wars. Yeah, it's more than the operating budget of the Mayfair for a year, I would imagine. A Star Wars operating budget, his toy budget. Yeah, because I like... (laughs) comic books and i not as much as i would like but i like video games and i like play video games and my nerd is spread out a little bit but lee is hyper focused on star wars so probably after we record this we'll go look at his instagram feed and he will have <laughs> th- whatever the biggest lego set is that he doesn't own yet that's a guy who's almost impossible to buy for unless you're just buying him more god what's more lobots yeah lobot i was like what the hell is that guy's <laughs> name yeah he just collects lobots so it's like okay well that's easy but is it too easy you know like but you just don't know what he even has and he probably doesn't even know what he has for some no reason. i have twice gwen and i stumbled on lobots at i think both times at the 613 flea market here in ottawa and one was a very reasonably priced ten dollar modern day lobot in package still hmm. and one was i think 1980 81 vintage but it was just in a little baggie no gun <laughs> no box no whatever and it was like five or ten bucks loose lobots five bucks loose lobots okay, yeah. all right sure but yeah it is it's tough to buy for a nerd you either got to go really obscure or brand brand new mm-hmm. and a couple times i've lucked out with lee of that of getting him something from a flea market or a comic-con and it's it's an old star wars coloring book or puzzle that's not worth a fortune that's like tattered but i thought he might not have this one yet Mm -hmm. because buying new stuff he buys every action figure he buys every poster he buys every novel so it's hard to get him anything like that you got to buy him something weird he gets posters printed that don't exist like he's done that too where you're just like they never even made that (laughs) so it's like yeah how could we possibly i guess that's where you got to go after this we got to do custom art and stuff that he can't possibly have i thought that too and it's pricey but yeah like comic artists who worked on Star Wars comics or that kind of thing. Or just you and I drawing it and like, it's not good. But you're like, well, you don't have this and you don't want this, but here it is. We drew you a new Lobot story. Or you could get him uh, more animation cells from Eox because they're all one of a kind, right? So technically he can't possibly have all of them. That is a good gift. (laughs) Yeah, I do like the reasonably priced Ewok collections where you buy 10 Ewok cells for 40 or 50 bucks. I wonder if he has a Wilfred Brimley autograph. Probably not, eh? Oh, that'd be good to get. (laughs) And is that expensive (laughs) or not? Like, that could go either way on that one. We could just print up a Wilford Brimley headshot from the Ewoks TV movie, and we can forge it. As far as I know, he was only in The Thing and the Ewoks movie. (laughs) I don't think he ever did anything else. And Cocoon. Mm, That's true. Where he was, Wilford Brimley in Cocoon is younger than Tom Cruise is now, hanging off of airplanes and jumping out of helicopters. Yeah, and that is understandable that they're like, we're doing two more Mission Impossible back-to-back and then we're done because he will not live. Like, he can't... Because Tom Cruise is 70. And he's not going to... I guess I respect that he's just... I'm doing these myself and that's that. You know, I won't... Because he could totally will us it from this point on and just be like, okay, Tom, run over here and then we're going to have the young-looking from the back Tom do this thing. You sent me that Bruce Willis <laughs> clip the other day, yeah. and it made me so sad. <laughs> made and me which so is sad. shocking, because we've already been so sad for a couple of years it now. It shows that we are nice, good Canadian boys who just <laughs> wish the best for poor Bruce Willis and aren't trying to kick him when he's down. But it just makes me sad that 
the star of even somewhat later things like The Sixth Sense and Mercury Rising. Mercury Rising. <laughs> Obviously. But just the star of Die Hard has the whole given ten up on yards. life. Oh, it just makes me sad. I just found it funny that we've already been sort of, I don't even want to say clowning him because it's like he knows what he's doing. It's not like he's unaware, but I was just shocked because people do voiceovers. I get that, but they're seemingly using like AI bots to do his voice and almost animation to do parts of his scenes. Like, so like weird. And I'm just like, you can't be in that bad a shape. Some of them, it's like he's walking. Like, you can't. <laughs> was he just like, he didn't want to do it? Did he refuse to walk over? I think there was one where he like gets out of a car and walks away. Was he just like, yeah, I'm not doing that. The last time <laughs> I saw a Bruce Willis movie here, I believe, was the last Die Hard movie. I forget its subtitle. Jeez, I don't even remember. It I get them mixed up. There's a good day to die hard. And then there's live, live free die hard. That's what it was. Yeah, live, I was going to say live strong or die hard, but I'm like, that's not right. This movie, which was a mainstream movie, it was so evident that he didn't care. Mm-hmm. Like, it was so evident. And as I said to you the other day, I just looked at it curiosity. It was like, how old is Bruce Willis? And I typed it in 55-year-old actors, 60-year-old actors. And you see other actors of his generation who have not given up, who are still doing great work. And it was like Jeff Goldblum, Willem Dafoe. That makes it worse because you're like, well, these people are still out there doing their thing. And Willem Dafoe is doing weird little movies and big mainstream movies. And mm-hmm. and even our beloved Nick Cage, the worst Nick Cage movie in the past 10 years, Nick is still working and giving his all. Yeah, I couldn't even tell you what it is. What it, yeah. you know, that, I'm not a good person to ask about scale like that. It's probably like, didn't he do... Uh, Sorry, I was going to say a Taken movie, but a, you know, when when the end times comes and all the oh, good yeah. people go to heaven. Yeah, yeah. no, Because that one was like, that was also like, you could almost say it was a remake because they had made several, I don't want to say made for TV, but they were like Christian movies yeah. made for, I don't even know, Christian streaming. Like, I don't know, God stream. Like, I don't even know. But yeah, like left behind. So they made, geez, like at least three or four of those. And then they made like a quote unquote big budget or bigger budget one with Nick Cage. And it's like, it should be great. It's like end of times, Christian fanatical, Nick Cage, like all the stuff (laughs) to make it a funny B-movie. And it just dragged. It was like two hours, maybe plus, or maybe just felt like it was. And he's not even like caging it up. Like it wasn't even good. Yeah. So even like that, but I would argue that Nick Cage in a movie like that is still better than the best that Bruce Willis is trying for nowadays. And Bruce Willis's IMDb has gone bonkers (sighs) because he's doing... 12 or 15 movies a year whereas traditionally a hollywood actor would do one or two movies a year mm-hmm. and one would be a big movie and one might be a supporting role or a cameo or something your harrison fords that kind of thing and now you've got bruce willis doing 15 movies a year he's just working for three or four days yeah and then collecting the money and then doing the next one the last one i saw in theater was moonrise kingdom which was a good way to go out yes i just I maybe should never watch another Bruce Willis movie. I think that was his last good time because right in that era was Looper and Moonrise Kingdom. Right, yeah, yeah. And a couple little cameos in something, and then it was it. Then something happened. Yeah, like well, even um, whatever, like not, well, like Glass, but not Glass, the one before Split, you know, like yeah. which he's in for a few seconds, which makes it one of his best performances because he doesn't have <laughs> enough time to suck, so it was yeah. fine. I wonder, never say never, maybe one day he'll come back, maybe Quentin will be like, Bruce, come on, you got to be in this movie, but... I have a feeling he's just going to do another two or three years of 15 movies a year and then go by an island and be done, maybe? I don't know. That sounds about right. So sad. On that sad note, (laughs) let's talk about happy things. Time to announce the Bruce Willis Film Festival. (laughs) Yeah. 
Let's talk about good movies at the Mayfair. So the last couple weeks have been very busy, and I like this week because we're kind of back to our norm of a reasonable four movies a week, where even if you're a super fan, you can come see two movies in a week and play catch-up on some of the Oscar movies currently tiptoeing towards the Oscar season of the end of March. Or not even the Oscar season, but Oscar ceremonies. Actual Oscars. (laughs) Yeah. So we have three big-time Oscar-nominated films. We are bringing back Belfast for a third week, which is pretty great, especially in these times of people thinking, oh, people aren't going to cinema or you are going to stay home to watch something that's available there, that we're bringing a movie back for a third week. We're doing that because it's doing well. Is that the first one of the post-COVID era that's been like three weeks? Yes. I thought so. Because it's been a while. I know we did two for Dune, but three seems like a milestone. This is the longest run during the (laughs) post-slash-during-COVID times. Wow, huge. It'll be our next parasite we'll have it for 18 weeks man i can't that would just be weird i mean i'd just be impressed if they were able to pull that off it's bonkers it's so crazy to think that we had that movie for the better part of five months and in the glorious alternate universe where covid never happened we could have had it for six yeah that was literally paying for itself yeah (laughs) so if you've missed belfast you have another chance to catch what i think might be the front runner for best picture not just of opinion of my personal opinion but just kind of playing the Vegas odds. Mm. I, I think it might be the one that most Hollywood folks like. I'm hoping for a Belfast and Furious crossover if this does well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Then we have The Worst Person in the World, which is up for Best Original Screenplay and Best International Feature. It is a dramedy about a young woman's love life, basically. Hmm. So a simple enough story, but getting really rave reviews for the actress and that it's just a really good character piece yeah and it's up for like multiple oscars isn't it yeah best screenplay and international feature and it's one of those movies where getting two oscar nominations is great but it's one of those movies where people are like oh she got robbed or the director <laughs> got robbed and- yeah no i'm hearing uh, great things about it i know almost nothing about it apart from that it's a great title to be like they made a movie about me and it's called international feature now did they change it so if you're, say, like an Australian movie, because it used to be foreign language. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think it's... there's been some change to the rules where an Australian movie can be in this category in English, I guess. They just changed one word and we didn't notice. And we're like, what? what is this yeah. called <laughs> again? What did you do now? Yeah, English, non-English language from specific parts of the world award. <laughs> there's some awards like that of various different organizations where instead of just saying best actress, it's like, Best Lead Actress in a Central Performance Role. And I'm like, I can't fit that on a poster. Man, back (laughs) in the 40s or 50s, maybe both, there was a Best Assistant Director Oscar. Whoa. Yeah, which I I didn't actually know that. And so I saw on Twitter, someone had posted about it. I mean, that's cool. Like, that actually is kind of cool. But also that would be confusing and hard to maintain, I think. I still think that the Golden Globes is... Well, you know, nobody likes the Golden Globes anymore. (laughs) But... This long-running thing they've had of doing drama or musical-slash-comedy yeah. is the weirdest thing. Because that means you could have comedies in with Les Mis. Yeah. It's so bizarre to stick those two. Like, why not just have drama and comedy and let musical fall where it be? 
Yeah. And I remember the Martian one a couple, like, a few For years comedy. ago. For yeah. comedy. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I think there might have been one or two chuckle moments, I guess. It's the most corrupt thing that I can't believe still soldiers on. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, so bizarre. And yet, I'm still, you know, I still check who won after the fact. I, I'm not watching it. Yeah. But it's still kind of, I don't know. It is fun when there's little moments like uh, an Adam Sandler winning or a Jim Carrey winning. Or I'll even say a Tom Cruise winning. I mean, he's he's deserved it once or twice. Then our last Oscar-type movie this week is the much-anticipated-by-Mayfair patrons Licorice Pizza. Ah, we prefaced that accidentally last week. Yeah, from Paul Thomas Anderson, a filmmaker for myself I don't think has ever made a movie that I do not like. This seems very light for Paul Thomas Anderson. It has that Boogie Nights feel, Yeah, but instead of being about the crumbling porn industry... It's just a coming-of-age 1970s story. The trailer has David Bowie music playing in Mm -hmm. it, an amazing ensemble cast. So it's up for Best Picture, Director, and Screenplay. Yeah, it's very almost famous-ish, like, you know, set in the 70s or whatever. So it's that kind of vibe, like just, you know, young, bright-eyed, fresh-faced kid that's trying to find himself, I guess. Yeah, it very much looks like Paul Thomas Anderson doing Cameron Crowe. Mm -hmm. And especially that many Paul Thomas Anderson movies, Boogie Nights has that kind of fun and comedy in it, but is very heavy and depressing in the long run. Mm -hmm. And Phantom Thread and those kind of movies. Usually his movies have a lot of comedy and character in it, but are a little bit more heavy. This, I think, seems like the lightest thing he's done. Yeah, and the more I think about it too, because there's there's light moments, yeah, but this one, his movies are, like, even Punch Drunk Love is, like, so intense with the music, like, that I found I wasn't really able to, like, relax watching it. So (laughs) this is definitely more dramatic moments, of course, but it's definitely a lot more, it just kind of, like, flows over you, I guess, would be a good way to put it. And I always have to mention that I love the bizarre coincidence that there are two P.T. Anderson (laughs) filmmakers who came up at the exact same time, but one came up as a awards darling art house kind of filmmaker, and the other one came up directing Mortal Kombat and Resident Evil, and that they've both been successful in their own right. And Event Horizon. And Event Horizon. I gotta give a shout out to our boy Sam Neill, you know, great flick. I don't even know if they've ever met. I'd love a story of them two meeting and they discussing must. their work. <laughs> I feel like they must have by now just because I just, it's been so, God, I mean, they've been around for, geez, 20, 30 years now. I like to think that they met up and played rock, paper, scissors <laughs> to see who got the name because under Hollywood Union rules for filmmakers and actors and writers, you can't have the same name as somebody else in the same union. Mm-hmm. So Paul Thomas is Paul Thomas Anderson and the Mortal Kombat director yeah. is P.T. Anderson. Paul, He's Paul W.S. Paul Anderson, W. Or sorry, you're right. Yeah, Paul. It's like they're both Paul Anderson. Yeah. But only one is Paul Thomas Anderson. Right, 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 so right. They couldn't both be Paul Anderson. It's weird. So I've never thought I'd say the words Paul Anderson so many times in my life. but <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so one has the kind of clunky P.W.S. Anderson. Yeah, I'm not sure why he added the second. Like, you could have just done Paul W. Anderson. I guess the he w- could have just taken Paul. <laughs> yeah, because it's actually, <laughs> true, true. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. Is that worse though? He felt like I don't know. They're like he's the lesser Paul Anderson, which they're already saying he is, but still completely distracted from Paul Thomas Anderson's Oscar nomination and just fascinated by yeah. the guy who directed Death Race 2000. Hilariously, though, he might have been more financially successful than P.T. Anderson. Like, I mean, at this point, it's probably a wash, but he's definitely done well for himself. I would say it's not even an argument of 
Paul W.S. Anderson is way more successful yeah. because even though a lot of his movies aren't, they're not like <laughs> Spider-Man hits. They're not, and they're not what you'd say good. But... but Resident Evil did enough to have six of them. At least, whatever. yeah. I think Mortal Kombat did well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would say he ha- doesn't have hits all the time. But if you accumulate their box office mojo, yeah. I would say the one who hasn't gotten eight Oscar nominations is definitely the more successful on paper. Because he was getting a check, I'm pretty sure, for all the Resident Evils, both Mortal Kombat, like I think just being involved in the first ones. And, yeah, because for Res Evil, he directed yeah. half of them. Yeah, exactly. And, that's, and then and his produced wife, and wrote a bunch. Yeah, and he's married to the star, I'm yeah. pretty sure. So that's the other thing. Like, I mean, they must, just for producing alone, he would have been getting a sweet check. So And a movie like that, it's always... <laughs> They didn't make six of them because they had another story to tell. They yeah. made six because the first five did really great. And then even the sixth one, if it was the sixth, I apologize. We don't even know anymore. It did well enough as the end, mm. the end of that, to still have a reboot movie a couple years later. Yeah. So it's still going. And it's funny that you point out that it wasn't because they had enough story. Because ironically, they kind of did. They just ignored that story. They had (laughs) all these video games and people were like, well, I'm a big fan of the game. I can't wait to see this movie. And we're like, no, we're actually going to be ignoring pretty much all the stuff you love. (laughs) And make six of them. Yeah, kind of like Silent Hill a little bit where you just, I mean, and I get it. It's hard to adapt something and please everyone. But at the same time, you're like, all right, I I don't really think this is the same audience here. And then... Finally, our one retro movie this week is the 1980 spoof comedy classic Airplane. Mm, Classic. Which was up for a bunch of awards at the time in its own right, where it got a BAFTA for Best Screenplay nominee, Writers Guild of America, award winner for Best Comedy, and the aforementioned Golden Globes for a Best Comedy Motion Picture nominee. But it's interesting, that movie, because it was enormous and for better or for worse, kicked off the spoof era. Mm-hmm. And it was Leslie Nielsen, again, for better or for worse, when he did Airplane and Naked Gun, he went from being an actor who was a dramatic actor and did all kinds of character work to really for the last 30 years of his career doing a bunch of Naked Gun movies and Mr. Magoo, mm-hmm. and various other spoofs and comedies. Yeah, and I always thought it was funny that Airplane 2, obviously not great, some good bits, but I always thought it was funny it was written and directed by Ken Finkelman, who went on to do the newsroom, not the big one that everyone knows, but the CBC version. Which is really good. Yeah, that was a great, great show, and it's and he did like more tears in the show. He did several shows for CBC. And it's a bit funny because I'm sure still gets flack for doing Airplane 2. I mean, you can't really follow up a classic easily. But yeah. I found it, I guess I like it when people find their footing years later and still are able to do their thing. And, and you know, and even though Ken Finkelman's not a household name to the average person. But I guess I, I always root for the underdog when they're sort of thrown to the sharks like that. Yeah, anytime I see, especially like the horror genre where there's so many sequels, you'll see somebody do a sequel which has some merit. And then that often helps them out elsewhere Mm -hmm. so yeah there's no shame in taking that sequel gig because sometimes it works it worked for mike flanagan because definitely he was struggling and then what was it it was like a like ouija 2 ouija 2 which was a prequel so it's really more like ouija zero yeah and it was inexplicably good yeah and then that led to him being mike flanagan now and it's pretty funny too because he was already killing it before netflix and now like to stick the landing on one show is already crazy but like he's on his third now i think yeah now he's the king of netflix yeah and like the stuff he's doing he's doing uh fall of the house of usher which could still have the perfect version made i've seen a couple of film versions and and they're good that's the kind of story 
I don't think anyone should be mad about them remaking because it's just like, especially someone like that, where you're like, okay, given enough time and budget and talent, which he has all of, that could be incredible. I hope it loops back around because Dr. Sleep kind of underperformed and well, then he that went back to Netflix. So stupid the way they released that. Like, yeah. they put it out in November. Like, what? <laughs> so dumb. We're going to put it out three weeks after it's helpful to do, and we're not going to link The Shining to it. That was the thing. You don't want to call it The Shining 2, but maybe try a little harder in, in the trailers and the advertising. We're like, this is coming out for Halloween, and it's a sequel to The Shining. It's like, no, nah, we don't need $100 million. It's like, let's just do this. It's like releasing a Grinch cartoon January 15th. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. Just sad. So that is our four movies for the week. The comedy classic Airplane and three big shot Oscar nominees, Licorice Pizza, The Worst Person in the World, and Belfast. I might have called it Worst Woman in the World earlier. I now I'm second guessing myself. I feel like you didn't, but now, I don't know. It's funnier now that you think you did. So when you're listening over this, you're like, wait, do I cut out the part where I said I thought I did that because I didn't? If I did, I'll go back and Bruce Willis it and just put oh, in a... God. The worst person in the world. You should find a Bruce Willis <laughs> clip of him saying person. Oh, and put yeah. it over. That's so meta. <laughs> okay, thanks for listening, everybody. You can find updates on upcoming movies at MayfairTheater.ca and on all the normal social media stuff. And we'll see you back here next week. And we'll see you soon in-house to watch a bunch of cool movies. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Surely next week will be the time we announce the Nick Cage Film Festival. Nick Cage. We need this. Fasten your seatbelts and get ready to laugh out loud. Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Johnny, what can you make out of this? This? Why, well, I can make a cap? Or a brooch? Or pterodactyl? R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Take out TCP. Suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me. Leslie Nielsen and Robert Hayes had an all-star cast that take off on a hilarious flight. Watch out for Airplane.